has been a shift in my mindset. And I think obviously still anytime something new crops up, I definitely go through a bit of a phase of like, what the heck? Why now? This is horrible. I need to whatever, do this training session tomorrow. I can't have this happening right now. But at first... I treated the injuries as sort of a temporary obstacle in in my athletics that was almost like removed from time. Like I I started to feel almost like, and as they were happening more frequently, I'd gotten into a pattern of feeling like every time I had an injury, my life was somehow paused. And it was really frustrating because it felt like lost time in my my athletic life, but kind of my life. It it was, I would go through the period of the injury, kind of struggling through cross training that I didn't enjoy and kind of waiting from treatment to treatment to hope that I would get clearance to resume my normal activities. I think, you know, not all of that frustration obviously is is gone now when I have injuries, but I do feel that it's more of uh, part of the process of being an athlete and and some of the healing process and sort of learning more about your body through that healing process, appreciating what your body is is doing. I feel more like it's just a different part of of being an athlete. And of course, it's, it's less glamorous, but it's almost like the okay, my, I don't know, my sore arm couldn't handle any weight like a week ago. And and now look, I can like lift three pounds here and it's holding up, you know, internally kind of celebrate that in the same way that you would if you're like pushing big boundaries. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're thrilled to be talking today with professional triathlete Tamara Jewett. This woman has become a prominent competitor since turning pro in 2019, and just this year threw everything into the basket of triathlon when she left her full-time career as a lawyer and went full into training and racing as a pro. Tamara kicked off the year with a win at the iconic Ironman 70.3 Oceanside, a season opener like no other known for its honest course and A-list competition. Competing alongside Paula Finley and current Ironman world champion Chelsea Sodaro, Tamara was fourth out of the swim, fifth off the bike, and then took the win after throwing down a 113 flat half marathon. She placed sixth at the PTO European Open in early May and followed it up with second at 70.3 Aix-en-Provence a few weeks later. Tamara has a background in high-performance middle-distance track, and since turning to triathlon, she became the first woman to run under 74 minutes at a 70.3. Triathlete.com launched an article in April claiming that Tamara is becoming the most feared runner in triathlon. We have a feeling she's going to continue to blow our socks off, and we're so excited to dive into the story of this incredible athlete. Tamara Jewett, thank you for being here, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Where do we start? Let's start. Let's start. What did you do today? Uh, what have you done so far? Not sort of house chores today. <laughs> today is a, a day off training. So it started with sort of just like mundane food shopping type chores. And I need to deal with like fun things like finances and, and accounting chores this afternoon. <laughs> so a bit of a day away from, from uh, training, but other, you know, keeping my life organized. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> demystifying this, uh, you know, this fantastical idea that like you just get up and you stretch and you train and you collect the checks and that's all you do when you're a professional triathlete. <laughs> but it's like you still have to take the garbage out and make sure that the bills are being paid and a um, little bit of a hustle here and there. So, you know, like all of us, a day off is a day off, but, you know, we don't really get days off when it comes to life. Yeah, I was just thinking all those YouTube videos that are out there, they're always training days. But what if we just like filmed a uh, rest day, just like <laughs> not waking up to the alarm? I, I, I think it would paint a more accurate picture of what goes on <clears throat> for professional athletes because they're not always hammering. No, obviously there's a variety. And those recovery days are so important to, I mean, partly to stay organized in life, but also for your body to absorb training and you know, so some of the off days are, are chore days like this, and some of them are, are genuinely relaxing, obviously. Do you, what's your relationship with rest days? Like, is it something you struggle with or something you embrace? Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's been a little bit of both as you've, you've progressed as a, as a professional athlete? Uh, I love, I love off days. Um, I think, um, you know, even as a runner, I always used to try my best to have one day fully off during the week. And I've always, um, 
you know, especially actually when I was younger and I used to go maybe too hard on some of my training days, I would really like depend on that day and count down to it to be able to kind of keep, keep going. So I've never struggled with that. I, I like that rest. I think, um, in my past, I've struggled with sort of longer season breaks, which through a whole series of really bad experiences with injuries, I now really embrace because, uh, as a younger athlete, I was really afraid of that time off. And now I feel like it's, um, crucial to be able to keep up the the intensity and to keep up my health through the rest of the year. In hindsight, looking back and seeing that you were fearful of those, of those times away from sport. Uh, and this is so, this is so common, um, for all of us, for any of us, if we have the flu or we have to get surgery or, or something's going on, it's like for you in hindsight, looking back, what was fueling that fear? What was that fear about? I think there are a lot of different aspects of it. Um, I mm, lack of experience, obviously, like I think a big part now of feeling really comfortable with that rest time is just having a lot of experience of, of knowing that my body will come back to doing what I need it to do well. Um, and that it can break down if I, if I don't respect the times that it asks for rest or the times that I program rest in. Um, I think a lot of messaging around sport can be very much like go, go, go more, more, more. And, and not even sport, just, just like trying to do anything at a high level. Um, I think until relatively recently, the focus has always been on the parts of that where you are, um, you know, doing the activity or trying to squeeze in more of it as being better. Like even with school, like surely if a bit of studying is good, more studying to an exponential, um, you know, amount is, is better. And, and now, um, you know, I think it's becoming more common to have more of a discourse around the important, uh, importance of recovery as well in the whole, perf- uh, activity of, of high performance, not just in sport, but in, in other areas of life too. So, so messaging, I, um, yeah, and as, as as a younger athlete, which I've been quite open about, I had an eating disorder for quite a while where um, just my relationship to the concept of food and fuel and calories was very tied into an idea that, um, you know, calories in somehow had to be calories out through exercise. And I, I just don't uh, have the same anxiety about feeling like that's such a, a straightforward equation anymore. So um, lots of different things, I think, impacting the anxiety about rest in the past. And I think the biggest uh, help now has just been more and more and more experience. Uh, you know. Experience is amazing. It's just so amazing to be able every decade that passes to kind of look over your shoulder and, you know, things seem to make a lot more sense and we learn and, you know, it's, it's kind of like doing scary things. It's like you do that first scary thing and then you're like, oh, I did that. And then you do another one and another one. It's like, it doesn't mean that it's not scary. It's just, you get better at it, at accepting what it is that you need to do. Um, and so if I may ask this question about recovering from an eating disorder and having that tied in so heavily with activity, being an athlete for a long time, what, and I know this is multifaceted, but was there a degree of like taking the activity away as a part of the healing from your relationship with, with food and eating? Yes, definitely. And, um, sort of in some ways, I guess, luckily for me, kind of just through the course of how things unfolded with injuries that that is, um, because my, my sister is, is doing a degree in clinical psychology and she's done some work with eating disorder patients and it, it is an actual fairly well accepted, um, treatment procedure to stop activity for a certain amount of time to try to, um, start a recovery process from an eating disorder. I never went through anything like that formally, but, um, as a runner before I started in triathlon, I had really quite a long series of repetitive strain injuries and a couple of them in particular, a stress fracture in my, uh, the neck of my femur that took a very, very long time to heal and meant that I was on crutches for a long time. It didn't, I didn't fully stop activity, but I had to scale it back very significantly. Um, and through the course of that process, I do feel that I felt a big, boost in my sense of well-being and psychological recovery, particularly after that um, femoral stress fracture where 
Um, I was not able to be very active for quite a long period of time. And, um, you know, my body did change a little bit and it just wasn't the end of the world in the way that my mind had been telling me it could be. And, and, uh, that was a big part of like, by that point I was, I was physically pretty much back to good health, but psychologically recovering that. I do think that was an important part of it. Yeah, it makes sense, right? It's like it's um, like somebody who's a, a drinker, or I guess we could use the label like alcoholic. It's like the alcohol is not the problem. It's it's actually their solution to to what it is that's you know uh, calling them to that to ease their pain. With and and I've had uh, experience as well with um, with eating disorder many years ago, and and it's it was so tied into the physical activity, like crazy tied into the physical activity. But it makes sense that if you take that physical activity away, it gives you that space now to, okay, I need to learn. I need to learn. Like now that the quote unquote solution's been pulled away, I need to learn how to work through what maybe I haven't been working through because I've been covering it up with activity, Mm -hmm. getting those feel good chemicals and, and exercise is amazing. I mean, we've dedicated our lives to it, but and sometimes, sometimes for some of us, and probably more than we know, we need to navigate these really uncomfortable, very constricted relationships with food and exercise. But um, I'm living proof. It, it seems as though you're living proof that we can get to the other side of it. Um, and it's not comfortable, but we can get there and be wiser and stronger for it. Yeah, I really, I went through a long period of time where um, I had pretty much gotten myself to a decent level of physical health around the eating disorder. But I honestly really thought that the psychological part and just my relationship with food always being very charged and difficult, that that, that maybe just would be around forever. And it, it really used to to zap a lot of my energy, um, even when I had it sort of managed from an external perspective. And it was really empowering. And, and just so it was a very positive experience to feel that, um, that sort of psychology and mental state sort of dissipate, even though the process of getting there was, was long and, and difficult. I, I do feel kind of, um, I, I don't know if I ever, would have listened to to someone else trying to impose that on me. I feel kind of lucky in my situation that it was sort of imposed by an injury and the situation of not being able to exercise was just um, my body basically not letting me me exercise. And, and it is true. It is like a very harsh process at first of just um, kind of brutal acceptance Um and then, at, you know, at the, at the start of it, it does not feel like that's going to go anywhere good. And and then sort of through that acceptance and learning to deal with it, it, it turns out that it it did. But I always feel it's complicated because a lot of getting physically healthy and to start that process was very motivated by as much as the activity could feed into the eating disorder. So desperately wanting to improve athletically and over a course of time, being able to just see how... Um, what a negative impact this was having on my athletics. A, a lot of the motivation to at least try to start dealing with the problem did also come from my athletics and, and athletic goals. How ha- on, on, a, on the side of that is the injuries that you've had. Um, we like to call them opportunities <laughs> in the body. <laughs> yeah. We like to put that twist on it. You've been through quite a few. Has your has your mindset strengthened in, in the belief and trust that this is just one and an, just another opportunity that you're going to be able to learn something and move through it? Whereas maybe early on, it was like, I think most of us, when we have that, those injuries, we're like, why me? Why me now? Why is this happening now? Yeah, there has been a shift in my mindset. And I think, um, you know, obviously still anytime something new crops up, I definitely go through a bit of a phase of like, what the heck? Why now? This is horrible. I need to whatever, do this training session tomorrow. I can't have this happening right now. But, um, at first I treated the injuries as sort of, a. uh, yeah, just a, a temporary obstacle in, in my athletics that was almost like removed from time. Like I, I started to feel almost like, um, and as they were happening more frequently, I'd gotten into a pattern of feeling like every time I had an injury, my life was somehow paused. And it was really frustrating because, um, 
it just, it felt like lost time in my, in my athletic life, but kind of my life. It, it was, I would go through the period of the injury, kind of struggling through cross training that I didn't enjoy and, and kind of waiting from doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment to hope or treatment to treatment to hope that I would get clearance to resume my normal activities. Um, I think, you know, not all of that frustration obviously is, is gone now when I have injuries, but I do feel that it's more of a part of the process of being a, an athlete and, and some of the healing process and sort of learning more about your body through that healing process, appreciating um, what your body is is doing. I feel more like it's just a different part of, of being an athlete. And of course, it's it's less glamorous, but it's almost like the okay, my, I don't know, my sore arm couldn't handle any weight like a week ago. And and now look, I can like lift three pounds here and it's holding up. I, um, you know, internally kind of celebrate that in the same way that you would if you're like pushing big boundaries with your training. Otherwise it's, it's really the same kind of thing of pushing the limits of your body. It's, it's just a slightly different context. So, um, and definitely trying to not, not give into that feeling of like putting my life on hold while I'm injured, uh, um, you know, I'm still treating myself as an athlete, still trying to like enjoy other things going on as well. And, uh, if, if the injury also gives me more flexibility in my schedule or more time at home for a bit, trying to appreciate that. Oh my God. I love that so much. I think that's such a massive piece of wisdom. I hope people are taking away because I've lived that too. And I've never put words around it. It's like, it's like your life is paused. Everything's paused. Like I've got a, this thing and not, and it's, it's almost like we're, we're sending ourselves a message of like, you know, we're waiting to live like we're and and every day, as we know, like every day we wake up with an able body to whatever degree, like we are, we're incredibly blessed and should celebrate that. Um, and it reminds me of how, uh, I teach a, I teach yoga and, and sometimes I'll, I'll really get them like moving and it's a power flow. And then I'll just have them stand, you know, and just be still. And I remind them like, this is not a break from the practice. Hmm. Like notice how your mind might think like, oh, I'm getting a break now. Like this isn't a break from the practice. This is still very much the practice because the practice is the internal practice. And being an athlete is an, in, is an internal journey as much as it is what we see of you on the race course. Uh, so I love that, it, it, that it is, if we can open up and, and really, I think there's a relaxation that comes in there to see like, okay, this is a part of the process. Would I have put this on paper? Would I have wished? No, I wouldn't have, but this is what it is. And how can I make, how can I make the most of it? You know, maybe I can clean out the closet that I've been wanting <laughs> to clean out, um, and make the most of it. But that's, that's a beautiful perspective. And, so it leads me to um, something that we find as such a gift in triathlon coming from the, a running background. Um, you know, maybe you didn't have this before, but with triathlon, we always find like, well, if you can't run, you can always bike and mm. swim. If you can't swim, you can always bike and run or you can, you can always do something. And how do you feel like the multi-sport has expanded you or if it has expanded you as an athlete? Yeah, I, I think it builds in a lot more resilience than you get naturally as a single sport athlete. Um, so just the the format of it, as you say, like there is always something to be that you can work on, like, I mean, almost always around an injury, but uh, it just sort of adds also a variety of different movement patterns, a variety of different focuses, I guess, Um I often think of it when I'm at training camps as a runner, you might have sort of like one focus workout for the day. And a lot of the rest of a training camp is sometimes felt like sitting around getting nervous for that one really important effort. I often feel in triathlon, like there just, there isn't time to get that nervous for any one effort because you have other stuff you have to fit in. Or if this swim didn't go well, you have a bike this afternoon and, um, usually at least one of the sports is sort of going well uh, at a time. So if you're frustrated about one, you can focus on a, a gain in another one. And um, I think that kind of attitude is something you can find in other sports, but it just, it gets naturally built into multi-sport a little bit more. And I, I find that really helpful um, mentally. And then obviously physically, it's, it's also just forcing your body to move in slightly different ways, which for me has meant, um, you know, I think that's been part of fewer injuries as a triathlete so far than, than I was running into as a middle distance runner. 
Is the is there anyone that's more of a obviously running your jam? But is there is there swim or bike? Is there anyone more challenging, or that you really got to motivate yourself to get out there and and get in it, or is it just a natural flow? <laughs> I think it kind of varies throughout the course of a year. Like I'll kind of have some weeks where I feel particularly into one of the three sports and maybe a little frustrated about one, and then it'll suddenly shift. And I really love all of them now equally. I think cycling was maybe the one that took me the longest to warm up to. Um, but, but I have now I did relatively quickly. I had done a bit of swimming before I got into triathlon and really not very much cycling. Uh, for sure swimming has been the, like technically the most difficult. Um, but also I think part of what's kept me engaged with the sport, I was really lucky in, in 2020 to run into my, um, current swim coach, Miguel. And, uh, he is so thoughtful and, and passionate about sort of teaching proper swim technique. It made me really excited about being able to push up the ceiling on what I could do with, with my swim and just feeling engaged in that learning process uh, has added a lot of energy to, to staying involved with the sport. What's one thing, because we love talking about swimming, what's one thing that you've pulled away from your experience with that coach that you probably weren't practicing or that has just been like a light bulb moment where you're like, Oh, and it's so simple. Uh, it's, Oh, it's been a really long part. Like, so, so I think definitely like slowing things down to focus on technique for, for a bit was important. And I think that that's always a difficult process. Often if someone comes up with a plan like that for me, I feel a little bit skeptical at first. And I really have to, it's really only because I really trust this particular coach that I was able to really, really Mm -hmm. commit to that, that process. Um, otherwise I, you'd end up worrying for a while. Am I just slowing down to slow down and it's not doing anything? So I, I really had to build a lot of trust to be able to do that. But I do think that because I was working at it with someone who was very thoughtful about it and knew what they were doing, that over the long term, um, you know, it really has made differences. I think one of the biggest differences in my swim now to how it started, I've always had a very good aerobic capacity and I could kind of get away with thrashing the water really quickly. And, and, and even though that was a very inefficient way to swim, I could do pretty well with that, um, just because aerobically I was really, really strong. Uh, and we've really had to sort of um, uh, just improve the way I was catching water, but, but slowing down and relaxing more when I'm trying to swim harder is sort of how I've come to think about it. And it's still a very, very big muscular effort, but I have to really keep my body relaxed so that I'm only putting that muscular effort into sort of like the right motion, hitting the water rather than my tendency is to really want to shorten my strokes and just move my arms very quickly. Um, so it's been really gradual to get a feel for, for what that means in the water. But I always think of it as, you know, relaxing to go faster. And often it'll mean that maybe like when I stop swimming at the end of an interval, I might be pretty exhausted, gasping for breath. But during the interval, it's almost like trying to feel more comfortable uh, and I end up faster. But it's it's hard to give like one quick takeaway that anyone can implement quickly because, um, you know, it's really been like a, a multiple year process of, of working on on this to start to get to a different way of swimming. Patience. How, 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 how big is, how big is, are you a patient person? Let's start there. Mm, No, I'm not a patient person. (laughs) I have, I have patience imposed on me and I really have to rely on the people I'm working with to, um, you know, help me put in a structure where I can be patient about things like athletic gains. So, um, you know, I think, something like, like finding some coaches that I really, really trust so that if they're telling me to, to do something at a certain pace or to be patient about something, I, I know that I need to listen to them and, and I don't have to just impose the patience on myself completely. <laughs> That's so that like that trust, right? Trust in your coach. And we see this a lot. Um, and we talk about it a lot is the, how pivotal, pivotal, is trust in your coach, but, but also trusting yourself that you, you're in, you're laying your trust over to this person or these people. Cause mm-hmm. I know you have a, t- you have a team mm-hmm. behind you. Yeah. That trust is so important. Like we really are a team that works together. And, um, I think 
all of like Suzanne and Miguel and, and Ethan are sort of my three main coaches. Suzanne kind of does the overall program. Um, but they've made a huge difference in helping me sort of turn around things that weren't going well in my running career. And the, the process of sort of adding each of them to the team and building that trust was, was gradual. Um, uh, sometimes when I start working with a new coach, I will literally write in my calendar, like yeah, you need to give it enough time, obviously, of trying what they're suggesting to sort of get a sense. But I might do like, okay, I'm going to, I'll trust what Miguel says about swim for two months or three months. And I would literally write on my calendar, like a date to, and I will revisit this at the end of that period of time and sort of see, see how it goes. And, um, yeah, it's, it's so important. I, I really couldn't do what I'm doing on my own. I think, you know, obviously there's a variety with athletes in terms of, of how much they're working with coaches and how much they're self-coached, but, um, I really, I rely on the structure that, that each of those people helps me put into what we're doing. And you, this is your first year being full-time pro, no profession, um, you know, professional paycheck to rely on. And I would assume there's some trust that you've had to lean into after making this, this choice. And, um, was this choice a long time coming? Was it like, okay, I'm going to do it this year. Nope. I'm going to do it this. Now I'm going to do it. Nope. Um, or was it just really clean? Like, this is the time I'm going to go all in. Um, it happened gradually, but it wasn't something that I ever thought, uh, initially that I would want to do actually. So, um, I, I always wanted to, when I was running, I always wanted to run at a really high level, but I always kind of imagined that as, um, sort of like an amateur Olympic career, but without, without doing a lot of like professional running later on that I would kind of do in conjunction with being in university, which I had teammates who were making that work. And then, um, and then that I would go off and do whatever other thing I was going to do. And then because I had so many injuries, um, it wasn't really, I wasn't in a position to try to launch a professional running career. And, um, that so so just naturally I was building in a focus on other things as well that's always what I had wanted to do and then when I started triathlon initially my plan was to do it for a year as a pro um and I negotiated with my law firm after I finished uh articling with them which which um, the United States doesn't have articling but it's like a it's sort of like a residency it's a 10-month sort of like legal residency almost. So I was hired back to my law firm after that and I negotiated with them that I would take a year off. I would do pro triathlon for a year and then um, uh, I would come back. I was going to try to sort of participate in 70.3 Worlds and that would be sort of an interesting thing to try and then I would be a lawyer. Um, And then the pandemic happened and 70.3 Worlds were postponed for a year. So um, I did end up going back full time and I thought, okay, I'll just have to balance this until I do worlds and then I'll stop. And, and just things kept progressing in a really exciting way in triathlon that over the course of time, I realized that I didn't want to stop. Um, and that, uh, I was increasingly passionate about it. Things happened like meeting Miguel and and realizing that we could make much bigger improvements in my swim than I had imagined. And that was exciting and engaging. I was really enjoying the racing. Um, um, and, uh, I cared a lot about, about the law side of things, but a lot of the, the network that I was building, uh, and a lot of where my heart was, were really increasingly triathlon focused. Um, and then at the same time, uh, I guess for a long time, I'd felt it was very important to have the job in law as, uh, a way to take pressure off of my participation in triathlon, both both financially and psychologically. Um, but I, yeah, I was getting to a place where I could see a way to financially make it work, at least for a period of time to be in triathlon full time. Um, I hadn't now had major injuries, uh, that were, that had interrupted things in a serious way for several years. I had some injuries from crashes and things like that, but I wasn't in the same repetitive injury cycle that I had kind of needed to protect myself from. And, uh, and I was also realizing just the more that I wanted to put into, 
um, triathlon at a higher level, it, it was sustainable for me to balance that with also wanting to perform really well at my job for periods of time. But, but in the long term, that just looked increasingly exhausting <laughs> and it was taking, it was taking a toll on my, my partner and, and, and my time management was so constrained and difficult, um, that it just wasn't a place that I wanted to continue in indefinitely. Um, and so all of those factors kind of came together to finally making a choice to focus on, on triathlon and, um, the law job I really enjoyed. I really like being a lawyer. I loved law school, but it is something that's easier to come back to later in my life than triathlon where my window is, is smaller physically. Um, uh, although it still serves a really important purpose as, as like a big safety blanket for me that sort of, you know, if things don't go well one year or if for whatever reason I needed to, I can feel that I can switch gears back and, and I'll still, um, you know, financially I can get things in order quickly career wise. I'll have other things that I can focus on too. So, um, it doesn't provide the same type of stability as when I'm doing both at the same time. But, but I think just having the work experience and law degree is still an important part of my sense of security, uh, as a full-time athlete now. And what has removing the professional career as a, as a lawyer, what has that opened up for you this year racing full-time as a pro? Yeah, just a lot more energy uh, and and ability to focus my planning around training. So um, we we haven't dramatically increased hours of training, but I would say we've been able to sustain a higher intensity through the year. Um, I'm able to just uh, slightly more consistently get in what I need to get in, but also the level at which I'm able to do my workouts is a bit higher when I'm able to rest more around them and. Um, and even just focus around races. Like I, uh, I'm not going into races worrying that, that some file is suddenly going to explode the week of the race and, and things like that, or, or just, just travel logistics. It just makes it, uh, it just frees up a lot of energy and, and focus. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of energy. That's stress. Like thinking like, Oh my, or, Oh, I forgot to do that one thing. I got to mm. just like send this email and then, you know, and you're trying to prep for a race. Um, so I'm assuming with more space, more, more time, more focus, obviously on triathlon, um, has it also, have you also been able to up your recovery game, which I'm assuming is going to continue to help you show up and, and accelerate your training and racing? Yeah. The, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing in terms of more recovery has just been more sleep, which is so important. Um, I have more time, uh, to get enough sleep. And if sometimes that's not always like a, a perfect amount of like sleeping in later or anything like that, I have a, a long commute to my swim. So I actually have a few days where I have to be up like at four 30 in the morning to get to them, but I can come home from the hard swim session then. And instead of launching into emails, I can, I can have quite a big nap and then get some strong afternoon training in. So I think that's been one of the, the things that's made the biggest difference in terms of good recovery and things going more smoothly. Oh yeah. That's going to weigh, that's going <laughs> to weigh into like well being and longevity. And I think just overall, you know, mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, just back a little bit when you, because I really feel people need to listen to this because we all butt up against that decision to jump all in or to, to hold ourselves safe and sound. And, and you butted up against that. And it's like the head and the heart. It's like, you're, you're really passionate and love what you're doing. And, and now that you're in it, you can see why, but the head gets in there and it's like, well, there's a safety net. Uh, I'm very comfortable here. Maybe now is not the right time, but when will be the right time? And there's this constant ebb and flow. And that's, talk about energy zapping, that's decision fatigue, just constantly like pulling our energy away. And I, I just, it's really important to celebrate those moments as we do on this podcast, when you go all in, you make that decision as scary sometimes as it seems. Uh, and people may be even be telling you, maybe in your community, they're like, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't look good on paper, but yet you still pursue it. Um, and now that you're on the other side of it, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that there, that's, that's kind of shown up in, in different and maybe not always as obvious ways through the course of that journey. So, um, 
you know, by the, when I made the decision to do triathlon full time at that point, I was at a place where I felt really passionate about having sort of one main goal. And that, that was, you know, I, I just wanted to have one, one thing to focus on in, instead of two partly, partly also like I, I, I like doing the things that I'm doing at a high level. And so the idea of like, well, I can do the law job and triathlon and both of them at like a very good, but just slightly not my best level wasn't satisfying to me. I really wanted to give both things my my all. And so um, at that point, sort of adjusting the timing of when I was going to focus on, on one or the other um, allowed me to do that. But uh, when, uh, and, and with that also, I was very lucky that I was, I've, I actually surrounded by people in my network at that point who were extremely supportive of, of the decision and that made it a little less scary too. But, um, when I was articling, uh, I, uh, was balancing that at that point with, with also like quite high level training because I was doing it going, planning to go into my first ever pro year right after articling. Um, and I was getting a lot of advice, not from my uh, immediate network, but from a lot of people around me that this was a, a really crazy idea <laughs> and that um, you should not try to balance articling with basically anything else, it's certainly not high-level triathlon training. How are you going to do that? That's going to kind of be a, a disaster. And and that was a period of my life where I, I was really passionate about making that balance work because I really wanted, I had a really amazing articling opportunity. I felt really, really passionate about that, but I did not want to step away from, from triathlon. And so the, in that period, Suzanne, who also has balanced triathlon with, with a lot of other things in her life, was a really important um mentor in terms of looking at how we could try to structure that to make it work and and just in terms of her confidence that we could find a way to make it work so it, it wasn't um a balance that I could sustain sort of indefinitely but I could for 10 months and at that period it was actually really the the balance was really important between those two things as opposed to later on it's become the space to focus on triathlon yeah, let's talk about the like the noise, um, whether that's uh, noise from our own in our own minds or the noise around us, right? Like people are saying, like, "Oh, that's not you can't do that. That's crazy. That's a disaster." And you were like, "But, but you listened to that that pull within that was like, but, but no, I, I right now I can do this. I can do this, knowing that you probably wouldn't do it for forty years, mm-hmm. but for ten months that you could do it, and then you attract this wonderful person into your life. That's like, okay, let's have a solution, Suzanne. Let's ha- let's get a solution about how this can work because I believe in you. But I think the experience of having contrary noise to what it is that we're pursuing and whether that's people outside of us or whether we're on the starting line, like, oh my God, can I do this? Knowing you can do it. How do you work with that noise? Um, and let's take it into like, I mean, I'd say let's take it into performance um, races or or training. How do you work with that just dialogue either within you or without? Yeah, I think it takes constant practice. <laughs> I don't I don't have like the answer for all time to to deal with that and um I think it's something that that everyone sort of continues to struggle with as they try to get done stuff that they they want to get done. Um because there's a lot of external noise and a lot of internal noise as well. Um uh, I think that's somewhere we're having a really good team around me really helps. So if I, um, let's say with sort of like, I don't know, whatever external chit chat might be happening going into a race, uh, trying to tune that out. But if I'm struggling with it a little bit, I have a good group of people that I can go to and sort of talk through it and they'll help me get myself back into the right mindset that I need to be in. And, and I think just the experience, certainly with racing, just the experience of having to throw yourself into the race and then throw yourself into the race again. And, um, having a variety of different outcomes. So races that went well and, and you know what the lead up was like, and maybe it didn't feel perfect at the time, but then the race went well, or just races that don't go well. And then you have to deal with it. I think just building that experience over time and continuing to engage with it and continuing to try is, um, really invaluable. I think I'm, I'm much happier, uh, and more confident overall as an older athlete than I was when I'm younger, partly just through continuing to have a lot of different experiences in sport. Um, and there isn't really a, a 
shortcut to to that all the time. Um, I also kind of increasingly look at um, what our experiences other athletes are having in terms of up and downs. Like, I've been thinking about it recently with Daniela Reef because in the media, there's so much chit chat up and down about like, oh, she's the best triathlete of all time. Oh, actually, maybe she's passe and of a past era. And then, you know, that chit chat will go on for a bit and then she'll, you know, you know, achieve a world record or something like that. And um, just seeing how many people go through different versions of that, I, I also find kind of comforting. You can um, see other people having ups and downs and, and know that these experiences are not just uh, unique to you. Um, I find that a bit helpful. I don't know if that, there, there are a lot of different aspects to that. I don't know if that, how much that answers any of it, but. No, I love, I love that experience. Um, also realizing that we're more similar than we are different, you know, just cause Daniela can run, you know, so much faster than I could ever run. Doesn't mean that her and I might not kind of feel like maybe we don't want to get out of bed one day. Um, but you also touched upon something which is super important too. It's like, you're like, okay, if I, if I'm not able to kind of dismiss this chatter, like I can go to my team and say, Hey, like I'm, I, I need some help through this. Yeah. And I think, um, this message to communicate, you know, whether you've got your one person or you've got a team of people, or you've got, you know, maybe even a fellow, uh, athlete or teammate to, to just ju- drop the guard and say, Hey, I need, like, can I just talk this out with you? I think that communication vulnerability, so important, um, to fuel like the highest level of success, because if we're like, Oh, I'm all, I'm all alone. And you know, okay. They might be saying this about Daniela, but it's different. Like, it's just all my little dark circle that isolates us even more. And I think it makes the mountain higher that we need to climb, but this ability to be vulnerable and, and communicate is huge to being able to disempower these thoughts and chatter and, and deepening connection and trust with the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of value being in being vulnerable, but I also do think that the, the effort put into the trust building relationships is such an important part of it where, um, I guess part of tuning out some of the chit chat sometimes is realizing that, you know, you don't, you don't want feedback on what you're doing from every single person and, and you need to be selective about um, whose <laughs> feedback you're, you're taking into account in, in sort of guiding yourself. Um, so I, not, not directly sort of performance-based, but with the sort of articling decision, a lot of the people telling me that I absolutely couldn't make that balance work were coming from a very good protective place or, you know, in some cases, or in some cases maybe from a place of jealousy. Like there's quite a range depending on what their experiences have been, what they were trying to deal with in their life. And and so some of it, even if it was from a very good place, it was sort of like, okay, I, I maybe appreciate what this person is saying and appreciate that it's coming from a good place, but this is not the person whose feedback in this case is going to guide what I'm doing. I have a few really um, close trusting relationships where that is the feedback that I need to be listening into and, and that those people maybe know more about my full situation and the full picture of exactly what I'm doing, whereas someone else commenting might just not have all of the information uh, either. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pers- perspective. Everybody has a perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's our ability to sift and sort what we want to what we want to do. And I, I love that you 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 shared that. Like, it, really important to surround yourself with trusting people because everybody's got an opinion, and it can it can just play into your your mindset or what you're going to do in that moment. And looking back, because because I was just thinking about this, I was there in Indian Wells when you were you know hunting down Paula. Mm-hmm on the run, I was just thinking, was anybody giving you splits out there? And, and how much do you trust the information that people are giving you when you're trying to like, you're going as fast as you can and, and you're trying to catch, you know, Paula, which was, you, you almost caught her like right at the, at the end there. Yeah. I think, um, I think I most, yeah, people definitely do call out splits. Um, I think I kind of take it into account if I hear what they're saying, but it's, it's not obviously fully determinative of what I'm doing. And, and I do, um, you know, even if it's like a, a close supporter who's, who's out there and they're supposed to be giving me splits, 
I take it on faith that that's the right information, but I also don't somehow modify all of what I'm doing, assuming that they're a hundred percent right or that they haven't missed something. I think a, a frequent one that I think about is, um, you know, like people can lose, <laughs> I know because I'm often someone who's running my way through the pack, people can lose sight of, of people that they just haven't heard of yet who might be like coming up from behind in a big way and they might just not have noticed. And I do always have in my mind that maybe they've missed something and there's someone making like some crazy surge that we won't see until the finish line. And, and so I definitely appreciate the information and, and um, you know, I think it'd be really, really bad form to be purposely giving people false information. So I hope no one's doing that. If they are, that's just uh, not, not, not right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I, I always, I don't know, so much happens in those races. I, I always assume that, that something I don't expect and something that the people there don't expect could be happening as well. Yeah. And although well-intentioned, you know, everything, even like the advice of like, you can't do this. It's impossible. I I believe that, I believe that it's well-intentioned, but we do need to have that sonar, you know, our own sonar really dialed in. And like you said, it's a process, like it's all a process. We're going to continue to learn more and more. You're going to turn back 10 years from now and say, oh, that's why that happened. And I'm, you know, more wise for it and all of that. Um, but speaking of somebody who's come up through the ranks, um, you are now racing some of these women who perhaps you looked up to. And um, how does that feel to be out there and not even just being a contender, but like being a real threat to their space on the podium? Like, how does it feel to be realizing that you're at this level uh, with these women who maybe you've watched and looked up to over the years? It's exciting. Uh, I think having having been through sort of a a lot of disappointment in my running career, it feels really cool to unexpectedly be um, sort of having a a renaissance of my athletics and and to be able to progress to really high levels in in triathlon. I think um, I've always I felt for a long time that my potential is there to be able to do that, but I haven't been able to actually do it. And so it's really satisfying to feel like I'm, I'm able to sort of show that potential in, in real results. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, I think also with a lot of my injuries in running to protect myself, I had to tune out of the sport a little bit for big periods of time and didn't build as much of a connection to parts of it, uh, as, as I would have liked to, so that it became a bit of a big part of my life, but also sort of separate from my life. And, and I really like feeling more and more part of the triathlon community and being able to, um, embrace that. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it was really, I think, I think, you know, for example, coming out ahead of, of Chelsea at, at Oceanside, she won the first two pro races that I ever did. And uh, I really admired that. And, and she also has a running background. So really, really ad- admired her. And so it was um, really exciting as a progression from that to have, you know, one race where, where I came out ahead. Um, but it's, yeah, only satisfying to beat her in that way because I respect her athletics so much. And, and I kind of like the way that the competitiveness in the sport is developing right now where there's quite a pool of people who, um, you know, can be out ahead in those races on, on any given day. And, and so as, uh, as I try to be more and more a part of that, it's also, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Also just really holding on to like the respect for everyone in, involved. And, and I think sports more fun when you also give yourself permission to be ahead or behind on it on any given day. So I think part, part of also for me, keeping the activity fun, which is part of my ability to like keep performing well is to, to sort of like watch the ups and downs that people go through to give myself permission to also have ups and downs as I try to uh, compete against them more and more. <laughs> yeah, that fun factor. That fun factor. Mm. I mean, because we see the gripping too tightly mm. of how things have mm-hmm. to go, and and you put a lot of onus on it. There's the tr- there's the travel cost and the time and the effort, and you put all this in. And you know, 
I don't know what the travel was like to Mont Tremblant, but you mm-hmm. commit, you know, you made a commitment to go do a race and there was a good field there and then the race doesn't happen. And so how does that, well, let me ask you, like, how did that, how did that relationship feel? Was it easy to just move on to the next thing or was there like, a, oh man, like I was ready to race. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. not, I think, you know, it's, it's easier for me than it might've been in the past because uh, just yeah, experience and, and knowing how to deal with some emotional lows, but it, it was a big emotional low to be, you know, logistically all geared up for a race, emotionally all geared up for a race, physically primed to race and then just not have anything. Um, uh, it, yeah, it took me at least like, you know, kind of over a week almost to get my training back into what felt like a really good groove. I, I certainly had like good training sessions in the week after it, but it, it was just a little rockier and I certainly didn't feel, feel good. Um, and that's just, just part of it too, but it, yeah, it takes a huge amount of energy into any, any of these events and, uh, a race being canceled is very extreme, but there's, there's just a lot that can happen in any triathlon. Um, and so I do think you have to keep yourself open to, um, open to that and, and to giving yourself permission to focus on, on the parts of it that you can control, but knowing that no matter what you do, there are parts of it that you cannot control. And, um, you know, that needs to be okay. If it just wasn't your day, it wasn't your day. And, um, you know, you see that happen to lots of different people and a day isn't their day. And then their day comes along at some other point as well. Yeah. I mean, we know anything can happen, right? We're like, anything can happen. Like you could win the race, you could lose the race, like anything can happen. And it's just, it's so much easier when anything can happen aligns with our dreams <laughs> and the thing, our goals. But when anything can happen, like messes up what we thought was supposed to happen, it can, you know, it can be a sticking point. And I think it's important to feel it. I think it's important to feel like the, oh God, I've got all this like fitness. I'm all like, I got all my pre-race food in me. And now like, I'm not going to have that big output. But then when that's done, you know, hopefully it's not too long, just get back at it. Persevere, persevere, persevere. Um, but what do you do with all that fitness? Does anything in your training change or do you just kind of take this like lump of fitness and say, okay, we're just going to keep going with it. Um, cause I'm not sure when your next race is. So how do you work that into your training when you don't have that big output of a race? Yeah. Next race is August 5th, the, the PTO us open. Mm-hmm. So luckily I have a good, um, uh, race experience coming up before Worlds. I'll have another race sharpener. I did, you know, because without Trumbull, it ends up being a much bigger gap in my my season than what I'd anticipated. Um, but that, I mean, one of the nice things about being more consistently healthy as a triathlete is that there are is going to be another race, and usually there is another race coming up. Um, and so you have something to refocus on. It was really hard as a runner when sometimes I would be injured for six months at a time, three months at a time, in the most extreme case, 18 months. Um, and you just wouldn't have the next opportunity coming, coming up to refocus on. But, um, we had decided that after Trombo, we wanted a big training build through July and a bit of time at home to to focus on sort of really high quality training and a consistent routine. And so rather than rushing to try to replace it with another race, we decided that that had been a, a good plan that we'd made for good reasons. And we were just going to sort of fold back into that. Um, and uh, the, the day after I took, I just took the day of the race off to, to regroup a bit the day after Suzanne gave me quite a hard brick workout. So that was supposed to sort of replace some of the fitness, uh, sort of fitness gains we might hope to get from, from a race. Um, and part of it went really, really well. And part of it just completely fell apart. So the bike was excellent, very strong. And then the first sort of quarter of the run was excellent until suddenly I was just walking along the road crying about how this was like, I don't know. I think it was just a little too, too close. You know, it was just the day after and the feel of that run part of the workout was too much. Like I expected to be doing this in this like great race environment with aid stations and people cheering and other athletes to compete against. And here I am on this country road by myself. And, and so we, you know, I just, I stopped, I think, uh, I've had enough experiences like that to not just like beat myself up and force myself through it in, in some of those situations. So I just stopped and 
you know, we, we planned a good run for later in the week when I'd had time to collect myself. And I think over, you know, over time that smooths out and you're not suddenly losing all your fitness. So you can just keep, keep building it. And, um, so yeah, so we, we adjusted our training a bit that week. I didn't have to recover from the race, but I, I did still have to like give myself some emotional recovery time. Yeah. I, I think that workout was great. Like you needed that mm. to have that release. Like you needed, like, mm-hmm. like there was that, the, the part of you that remembered, like, you know, here you are putting out this big brick and you know, the bike and I'm sure it wasn't easy. And, um, and the body's like, oh, this kind of feels like a race, but it's not a race. And so sometimes we need, sometimes, we, I don't know. I think, I don't think there's any mistakes and, and perhaps you needed, that exact workout on that exact day um, so that you could stop on the side of the road and cry and be like, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that, in that situation, it was fine. And I, it's, you know, obviously you want to learn about your own emotions to be able to work through them. But whenever I find myself having such a strong emotional reaction in, in training, I kind of know myself well enough now to, to know that it, it often means there's something I should deal with or just some space that I need to give mm. myself and that um, rather than being af- afraid and it's, yeah, and that's just a self-knowledge thing. And obviously everyone is different, but for me, rather than being afraid that this is, you know, suddenly disastrous and everything will be like off kilter for five days, it's sort of like, okay, like need to regroup, but this, this will still, tomorrow should still go smoothly. It'll be okay. Or like, oh, maybe there's this thing I need to deal with before I can really put that energy back into the, the training. Yeah, good self awareness. Uh, is this distance? Are you loving this distance? Like this seventy point three kind of? I think it's hundred k. Like it's it's no need to go further. Um, yeah, I mean, I really like the distance. I, I like the seventy point three a bit better than the hundred k. I just like the proportions better. The, the more you know, a few more kilometers of running never never hurt anyone. Um, <laughs> but uh, I. Uh, I'm interested to try a full, but I am not sure that that's what I would ever want to make my main focus. I'm I'm sort of open-minded about that right now, but I think it's most important for my athletic development to keep developing speed at the slightly shorter distance. Um, and so that, that remains a priority over, over trying a full. Um, and I certainly would never uh, sort of commit to doing fulls without trying one. I, I just don't know what it'll be like. It is twice the distance. It is quite a different activity in many ways. And, and, you know, obviously some athletes have quite a few years of experience of going back and forth between the two, but I don't. So if I ever did try a full, I would want to really like respect the preparation for that. And it, it just hasn't fit naturally into planning for an optimized 70.3 schedule for me right now. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've gotten more used to the 70.3 distance and I like it. When I started, I was a 1500 meter 3k, 5k runner. So it seemed excruciatingly long. Um, and I, I certainly remember the first time I ever did a half marathon was in a 70.3 and I remember getting to 10k and kind of feeling like, how can I possibly have to run 10 more K after this? But, but, uh, you know, obviously I've been doing it for, for a few years now and, and gotten quite used to it. Well, what is the dream? What, what What's your dream? Uh, right right now, it's I sort of am on a two year plan of like really making seventy point three worlds this year and, and next year big focuses and um, I would you know really like to be striving for the podium in, in each of those. Um, but I you know, I'd say that's the goal, but I sort of hesitate to be like that's the ultimate dream and what I need to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's always been evolving. Like, as I said, I, I didn't initially set out to be a a sort of pro athlete and that's something that sort of has just developed over time. Um, and, uh, for a long time, it was sort of like, I would, I would just love to have some kind of, I don't know, redemption bookend on the injuries and running. And that's definitely just like it's happened. So it's really nice to sort of, um, have a check mark beside, that and have that have a sort of positive outcome that I wasn't sure would happen. So, um, and kind of letting it evolve. I, I really want to just keep pushing what I can do athletically and, uh, and, uh, yeah, hanging out in this level of competition of trying to compete against, against the best people in the world of the sport is really exciting. 
That sounds like a dream um, that you're living right now. And I love that you, you just, you seem to have an open mind, which I think is right up there with just your intelligence and your intellect. It's like, it's smart to keep your mind open. It's smart to be aware that there are always possibilities. Um, and so we'll, uh, we'll certainly be watching and tracking and cheering you on. And, um, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and thank you for being so open and honest in the conversation. Uh, It's been a pleasure to meet you and to chat with you. Um, so yeah, just, uh, keep going, keep your mind open and, enjoy enjoy it looks like you're enjoying it out there and it's really really fun for us to watch you thank you yeah thanks so much